So, a traditional Jewish, Christian, and Muslim... Hello again, friend <laughs> hello, Preston. Hello. <laughs> Man, today's going to be good. I feel like a prophecy is being fulfilled. <laughs> or at least a appointment on my calendar. For sure. Welcome, everybody, to the Holy, Holy Watermelon, Watermelon Podcast. Podcast. Yeah, so... We're going to talk a little bit about prophecy today. And I was thinking about Nostradamus. He's, thanks to History Channel, he's kind of the big prophet that's not really tied to any specific religion as far as popular culture presents really well. Right. He's just kind of this guy who predicts things. Yeah. I mean, he was a Christian. His family was actually Jewish only a couple of generations before him. Uh, he, He lived about 500 years ago. 1500s was his time and super popular guy he wrote a book called the prophecies you know his name isn't nostradamus i i saw that in our research and in researching this episode yeah um michel de notre nostradam that makes basically michael of our lady which is you know nostradamus sounds way more badass fancier (laughs) Also a little bit like a hippopotamus. A little bit, a little bit. But his hugely popular book, The Prophecies, none of it is originally his. We like to give Nostradamus credit as a culture for being this great prophet who saw all these things coming. None of the prophecies in his book were originally his. He repeated a bunch from the Bible he straight up plagiarized from several other sources. And he also actively denied being a prophet. Aren't they so vague <laughs> that it could apply to anything? Many of them are vague that, yeah, they could apply to anything. And we also have a problem with people who want to say Nostradamus was a prophet translating his works from Old French to, to common today English and deliberately mistranslating them so that they'll line oh. up better with specific events. With what happened. Yeah. Oh. But Nostradamus, not a prophet, not even a little bit, just a skilled writer. Um, he wrote almanacs and things like that. And then he's just like, and here's a bunch of prophecies that are known to people who read Latin, but my French audience doesn't read Latin, so they're going to like this book. (laughs) So then if Nostradamus wasn't a prophet, what is a prophet, Preston? Ah, A prophet is, broadly speaking, if if you want to generalize it across multiple religious traditions, a prophet is a person who serves as a mouthpiece for a divinity or supernatural force. An oracle is a pretty fair word that's basically the same thing, a mouthpiece for a god. So that's fairly distinct from, say, a seer or an auger who is able to read things, things, or omens. Like sometimes you'll have an auger who reads entrails or tea leaves or just. I don't think an auger is a fair title for one who reads the stars. That's more of a seer, non-auger. We've got a whole bunch of people who have found up a whole lot of different ways that they can read things in the universe. Medium psychics. Not that this that's not yeah. this episode, but you're right. There's a lot of titles for people who see things that have yet to happen. Right. And they can do it with a sort of reliability that's just enough to get people to buy into it. Mm-hmm. In my research, so there's... Prophets and prophecy. And then there's prophesizing, which is a little more, you don't need to be a prophet to prophesize in my understanding. It's like that as in God is speaking to you and telling you what to do with you in within your personal relationship with God. This is very much like a <laughs> Christian fundamentalist term. So there's, I like to distinguish big P and little P prophets. Okay. <laughs> Like if, <laughs> if you are prophesying, then 
that makes you a prophet, little p. Uh, if you have any official office or title as prophet, that would be the big P prophet. <laughs> and so prophets can be seen, whether that's their title or not, in every religious tradition and culture on this planet throughout history. Absolutely. Which is actually kind of nifty that we are able to to see these parallels around the world without any worry about cultural lines i mean it's it makes sense in a way that you know how else does a religion start unless god is talking unless there's a supernatural power talking to someone then you just have atheists (laughs) right (laughs) if there's not whether that's god speaks to everyone or god speaks through one or two people there needs to be some connection someone has to believe god speaking to them or it wouldn't happen right that's a reasonably popular model for religious development. I guess you get the odd ones, but you will talk about Buddhist um, prophets as well, where I guess you're working to obtain some a level of enlightenment. But and there isn't, I guess. I mean, depends on the model of Buddhism you look at. I was going to say, but there isn't a god in Buddhism. But depending on which one you follow, then Buddha is. Well, and uh, it, it all depends on how you define God. Because we've had this argument before, too. (laughs) Go back to our previous episodes. Yeah. Um, So there are some religious traditions that aren't started off by somebody claiming prophecy. If you are describing the idea of a god in the sky, you don't have to speak to him to say to your kids, there's somebody up there who's giving us the lightning and the rain. Fair. But... At some point, somebody will claim to communicate with that god. I think so, because it comes down to the how do you know it's up there. Exactly. And I don't want to say it's easy to say, but <laughs> it's it's a pretty good default to go to, well, God told me, or God told this person, or whatever. Yeah. Oracles and prophets tend to speak as though they are the, the mouth of God, or the god that they serve. For example, the the oracles of Apollo way back in ancient Greece would speak as though their words had come originally from Apollo and they would quote him Mm -hmm. and speak as though they were him. So it's pretty standard for the way we look at prophets in the Hebrew Bible and the Christian New Testament as well. Mm -hmm. All right. So we have a whole bunch of notes on prophecy. How do we (laughs) do we want to break down by religion first? What do you think? Or some of my just mullings. Let's go through your mullings. Let's see. What are your thoughts here? Oh. As an atheist. As an atheist. Well, let's start. I'm going to scroll down on the notes a bit. I I titled this section Prophets in the Wild. And I'm sure everyone, if you live in a major city and have ever taken public transport, you've come across one of these people who... (laughs) Claims that God is speaking to them. And I distinctly remember one day going to university, this man on the bus was saying that he had seen the start of time and the end of time and knew how it was all going to end and that God was speaking to him. And everyone, like all the ladies were clutching their bags a little closer or putting them on the seat so he wouldn't sit next to them. And in my, like, my notes, I say, but if he was in a suit at a pulpit on a Sunday morning, people would be like, oh, my God, Right. So this line between mental illness and being a prophet, and we're going to do an exorcism episode around Halloween, but same thing, right? The difference between, are they possessed by the devil or are they mentally ill? Are you a prophet or are you mentally ill? And is that like basically based on what you wear and and what your job title is or? So anytime the audience doesn't want to hear what they're hearing, Absolutely, it's going to be easy to write it off as this person's probably mentally ill. And apart from that, any prophecy can only be judged on whether or not it comes true. And I guess another roundabout angle at that would be you can also judge a prophecy based on how detailed it is and like if it's deliberately going to be obvious that it's self-fulfilling or deliberately so vague that it's going to happen no matter what at some point 
and you can tell from in advance, then that's not terribly impressive. But see, I even, <laughs> and maybe, maybe obviously as outsiders, it's easier, but we see all these doomsday predictions that mm-hmm. have yet to come true. And <laughs> right. so often the followers still believe the person is a prophet and that they're correct. Mm-hmm. They were just, there was a miscalculation. Yeah. I mean, people, people appreciate when somebody admits that they were wrong and they can say, oh, no, I miscalculated this is a thing. That, I mean, it's weak, but I get why people who really want to believe and choose to believe can accept that as something to not undermine their belief but i don't love it you know <laughs> well yeah and there's some i don't i can't think of it off the top of my head because i'm just literally having these thoughts now as we're recording <laughs> you know some of these doomsday cults have like multiple times like mm-hmm. it's like okay once fine but there's people who have been predicting the end of the world for decades and their mm-hmm. their followers are still like yep Fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> Fool me twice, shame on you. Fool me three times, shame on you. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just never started. once, shame on me. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> we'll just, uh... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. Usually, uh, when somebody gives out a whole bunch of different predictions, it's more of a, hey, I'm studying the scripture and these clues are here and this is here. It's all written down. Why can't you see it? They don't usually do the whole prophet thing. It's more of a, I'm smarter than you, which is obviously annoying. (laughs) I'm sure there's exceptions to that, but none are coming to mind right now. Okay. <laughs> but we, we've definitely got loads of people running around saying, hey, the end of the world is nigh because God told me. And hasn't happened yet. <laughs> no. I think there was one recently that came and went that some cult somewhere was preparing for. Yeah, I remember <sighs> in 2011. That there was, was the big one, right? There was a... Well, it wasn't the big one, but there was a, a reasonably popular fella who decided there's this time in May in 2011 where the world's going to end. And that didn't happen. And then he's like, oh, no, sorry, I was wrong. It's going to be in October. Oh, I do remember October that October came and went, and here we are what still. Was the, what's the one I'm thinking of that was like in December, the Mayan calendar? Oh, yeah, the Mayan calendar that got a lot of people all stressed out. There, I don't. I looked into it, and there's not like any solid prophecy that yeah the world's gonna end it's just the calendar did end and a lot of people like well a calendar this long having an end point means the end of the world weak sauce (laughs) so so i don't even remember what was it like december 21st 2008 or something that's the number in my brain i don't remember the end of the mayan calendar but i'm pretty sure mayan calendar was 2012 was it 2012 i don't remember the date anyway someone will correct us (laughs) but i remember on that day that all of a sudden there's like this really weird noise in my neighborhood. It was like this <laughs> whooshing noise. It was like, and it was super loud. <laughs> and like, I was still in high school. Like I was still living at home and most of my friends were still living at home with mm-hmm. their parents, I say. And so like everyone could hear it like for blocks. Hmm. And I was like, what is happening? And there is a utility station across from the car wash. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? I got a pretty good idea, yeah. Car wash and mm-hmm. the junior high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep. And it had like overpressurized, so it was like releasing pressure. <laughs> and the immediate neighborhood had to be evacuated. And we could hear it all the way, like my parents are by the Savon. I'm like trying not, I'm trying to explain to Preston where this is without doxing us. Uh, and my parents were by the save on and they, we could hear it. Mm-hmm. And like, I, again, all my friends were like, what is, and we all thought it was the end of the world, obviously, <laughs> because we're like, what is this noise? And we've lived there for decades and never heard it before and never heard it since. Right. So anyway. That's crazy. That's just. I like it. <laughs> flavor. I will say as an atheist who, you know, clearly I don't believe anyone is a prophet i actually really appreciate the 
Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints approach to prophecy. And I forget where I read it somewhere, but basically they they have prophets to this day. The leader of the church is a prophet, speaks to God, got a phone phone line to God, I presume, in his office. And they're perspective on it and jump if I'm jump in if I'm wrong but you didn't correct my notes so I assume I'm doing okay is that if God spoke to us 2,000 years ago we should still have the ability to speak to him now he wasn't all of a sudden like peace out <laughs> bye guys <You> can't, I can't, <laughs> I'm not speaking to humans anymore I've spent all this time putting you together and bye and so I'm like okay yeah if you believe that all these Old Testament New Testament prophets existed and they received revelation from God, then, yeah, logic would follow that we could still receive prophecy right. and revelation from God. But there's a definitely there's definitely Christian groups that don't think that. Yeah, it's, Christianity, broadly speaking, has a weird relationship with the idea of prophecy. An awful lot of Christians reject the idea that there's any way to hear from God outside of reading the Bible. Which, of course, is flawed in that you've limited this person that you view to be all-powerful to the words that have been written down and edited centuries ago in a book that isn't even complete anyway. <laughs> and, I mean, it's still getting rewritten, right? There's still new versions popping up. So. Yeah, I wouldn't say rewritten's the the best word, but, I mean, but it the, does go but, through an Bible, editorial my process. Bible that we were talking about in our bonus episode was... Rewritten and it does go through an editorial process yeah. before publication every single time. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit rewritten. And so for example, you've got the the Pentecostals are also pretty big fans of prophecy because prophecy is promised in the New Testament. Uh, Paul talks about how as long as there are believers, there will there will be prophecy among them. And so Protestants and other super charismatic Christian churches are definitely big into that idea that you can receive revelation, direct communication with God. And then some of the older traditions that are still with us from Christianity tend to be a little bit more, you know, the the guy in charge, like the Pope, for example, yeah, can receive some revelation to guide the church. But there isn't big revelations of, of old hidden things or hidden things to come so much anymore. Which is, I think is actually really interesting. There was about 500 years ago in the Catholic Church, there was the prophecy of the popes. It was, uh, it was only about 400 years ago, sorry. It was first published in 1595 by a Benedictine monk named Arnold Wion. Uh, he attributed this prophecy to St. Malachi, a uh, 12th century archbishop, and it lists the last 112 popes. It says these are the last 112. There's not going to be more after this. So the end of the 16th century, this is kind of a big deal. People start counting down to the end of the popes. And it's kind of interesting. And remember, this is meant to have been written 400 years before it was published. But it's kind of interesting. It starts with Celestine II, and it is completely accurate and describes correctly all of the popes up until just before it was published. Oh, and then it handy. stops being accurate. Weird. <laughs> Which means that it's very, very likely that it not wasn't written 400 for... years before. Right. It's super suspicious. Weird. What's interesting, though, is that 111 was Benedict XVI. And then before it goes on to 112, there's this weird little paragraph. Just just short little note. And then it goes on to Peter the Roman. And so because St. Francis, or sorry, Pope Francis, isn't Peter the Roman as far as we can tell based on his name or where he's from. I was going to say he's not even a little bit Roman. <laughs> but yeah. 
there's a lot of people that like to argue that in this list that's called the last 112 popes, there's space for who knows how many <laughs> between 111 and, and the last. And it's because people are desperate that this list is actually authentic uh, prophecy. But, I mean, there's loads of evidence that it's what counts as a forgery being a product of when it was published and not 400 years earlier. <laughs> wow, it's so accurate. Wow. Yeah. I mean, at the time it was published, people should have recognized, hey, yeah, it's super precise and accurate up to this point, and then is vague and cryptic leading forward when it was supposed to be written 400 years before. It's just kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, it but sounds kind of weird. It's, it's like the prophecy that people within the Catholic world think about hmm. uh, as far as recent-ish prophecies. Interesting. And yeah, it's definitely a forgery. It's not authentic <laughs> revelation. <laughs> Maybe that's a good segue. How do you know when something's authentic revelation? In the moment, it's almost impossible unless... Theoretically, there's something in your gut that says, yes, this is right. And even then, I mean, we've talked about the the tricky nature of belief and knowledge. How do you even know that that feeling in your gut means anything? You have to wait until, and see when that prophecy is fulfilled to know that it was a proper prophecy. And judge it based on its merit as a self-fulfilling prophecy or a guaranteed eventuality. I really want to sing a line from Book of Mormon. Go for it. In 1978, God changed his mind about black people. Black people! <laughs> yeah. yeah. What a great musical. Right? And what uh, a great prophecy. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing that I love about the humor of that show is that it's honest about the two teachers, the missionaries. They were inept from the beginning and didn't know anything. And so the presentation of what the church does believe is is what is presented to be and not necessarily a matter of historic fact. <laughs> but it was an enjoyable show anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so prophecy is is all over the place. I really like the the way we see prophets presented in the Hebrew Bible which is, of course, the, the familiar zone that we deal with in the West. And so they were usually men who served as permanent fixtures in royal courts, though there were a few that were not. And this is basically paralleled around the world. Every culture that has a king or an emperor or a chieftain had somebody in his close circle that was basically responsible for reading omens and double-checking the decisions of the chieftain or emperor or king or whatever to make sure that it wasn't going to end in a catastrophic failure that would end the nation. And sometimes that meant reading entrails, and sometimes it meant just popping off into the corner and praying and seeing what happens and anywhere in between, depending on the culture and the traditional practices of that group. But what they all had in common is that they proclaimed a message to the people. Uh, typically in the, in, in the Hebrew setting, that message was, if you guys don't stop doing these stupid things, you will be destroyed. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and Israel has a long history of suffering some wicked destructions. Yeah. There were a few of the old Hebrew prophets that talked explicitly about a man who would come to preserve the people in some way or another. And if you're a Christian, especially fundamental Christians, you believe that everything of these prophecies refers to the coming of Christ. Yes, I in in the documentary I watched American Gospel, mm -hmm. I, I put on our Discord it's a wild ride. That's what the, the one group was talking about is that everything in the Bible and the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. And if you can't see that, you're not a real Christian. <laughs> he was like, every story in the Old Testament points to the coming of Jesus. So I was like, does it? 
Ah, uh, the story of Lot and his I daughters. I was going to say, does that point to the coming of Jesus? <laughs> it does not. Not even a little bit. I didn't think so, but. However, to to the credit that may or may not be due to the person who said that, the story might point to the need for a savior with some efficacy. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah. The, I mean. Lot needs a intervention a lot needs an adult Uh, but uh yeah yeah it's it's tricky but i mean if you genuinely believe that everything in the bible points to jesus you'll find a way to connect it even if it's as simple as here's a here's some people that need jesus (laughs) you'll figure it out jesus in your lives (laughs) so it's it's not unfair, but I don't like to make that generalization. The story of Jonah and the whale. If it was written more recently, the story would have started once upon a time. The story of Jonah and the whale is fiction. Absolutely. It was never meant to be read as a historical story about a real prophet. Everything about the story is like obviously counterintuitive to anybody's experience in Israel, Mm -hmm. where if you pay attention to the story, everybody's righteous and does what God says when they hear the the message, except for the guy who's supposed to be spreading that message. Jonah hears, hey, you need to go visit these people. And he says, hell no, I'm going the other way. The people in the boat, they're like, hey, God has a message for us and you are a problem to us. We're going to do what's right and get you out of this boat so that you can go and do your job. (laughs) And then Jonah finally gets to the city and they repent. The city being Nineveh in Babylon, which everybody in Israel is like, no, those people are evil. And in the story, it's like, oh, yeah, no, we're good now. (laughs) It's like obviously a fiction <laughs> what <laughs> but you know we need to do an episode on biblical literalism it was yeah i think you're right <laughs> it was requested to sort of mm-hmm. well we'll chat after <laughs> the prophets are interesting you've got prophets like isaiah and jeremiah these were courtly prophets they served the king to let him know what he needed to do in any situation where he would ask. And so that's that's pretty standard around the world, like I said before. We should move on to the New Testament. Yeah. <laughs> so Jesus is kind of the central figure of the New Testament, even though he's only actually present for one narrative told four different times. And he's... A lot more than a prophet in Christianity, but he does do some prophesying. And most of it, pretty vague. Um, He does specifically promise that the temple will be destroyed soon. And while he's also talking about his own body that's about to be destroyed, the temple in Jerusalem is seen as another fulfillment of that prophecy because it was destroyed about 40 years later. Mm-hmm. Or 30 years later. Now the timeline's going fuzzy on me, but that's okay. Shortly after Jesus Short, was crucified. Yeah, generation and a half, two generations later. Which in a grand scheme of the 2,000-year-old religion, it's not that much. Right. Yeah. And um, you've also got Zechariah, the, the father of John the Baptist. An angel appears to him, and broadly speaking, this fits into prophecy if you are able to speak with divine beings, including angels. So would Mary have been a prophet, or because she was the lady she wasn't allowed to be? Here's Mary has a, a very special position in Christi- in some parts of Christianity. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail your Zechariah <laughs> talk. Um, yeah. We can get back to Mary. Sorry. And and they're not wildly different in their experiences. And um, even Joseph, her husband, had an angel appear to him and say, hey, this is what's up. Uh, Mary's experience is a little bit more intense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She got divine spunked. I mean, I don't know the... 
the exact operation of how things happened, but she became pregnant in a way that, I, as far as I know, there's one way people get pregnant. <laughs> not Mary. <laughs> but turns out abstinence is not 100% effective. <laughs> I just think she had the best lie of all in, of all human history. No, no, I'm a virgin. An angel. <laughs> Knock me up. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's more or less the story. <laughs> I swear. Well, I'm making shifty eyes just so yeah. people who are listening. <laughs> and his Joseph's family did not like it one bit. No. Otherwise, they it were been, on her. Right, it would have been a lot easier for them to find a place to sleep when it went time to deal with the census and have a place to stay during Passover with family, as one usually does. Well, we'll get to the nativity in a different episode, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Back to New Testament prophecy. Paul, Paul is visited by Jesus on the road to Damascus. This counts as prophecy. It's one of the more... So, prophecy, depending on how who you read and how you define things, you've got all kinds of levels of awesomeness of prophecy. And hearing a voice, kind of minor... Seeing a person and hearing their voice and being able to touch them. Opposite end, best possible kind of prophecy level. And Paul, who hated Christians because they were just the worst kind of... Why is the word blanking on me? Heretics. Heretics. Christians were the worst kind of heretics... And then he pulls a 180 and realizes, oh, I shouldn't be killing these heretic Christians because Jesus is real and is the son of God and is mighty and divine. So changes his life around because of this revelation that he has. And then you've got John the Revelator, which is, I mean, he is a prophet. He sees and reveals and serves as an oracle for the divine. And he also, he and Paul, warn of false prophets. Of a couple of different varieties, you've got prophets who do testify of Christ for their own personal profit, with an F, for their own financial gain. Okay. <laughs> uh, that kind of profit. Huh. But you've also got false prophets who deny Christ while also performing miracles. And that's also a problem for Christians. Yeah. Uh, we are going to do an entire episode. Our next episode is on the Revelation. And it's a pretty big deal because there's entire denominations of Christianity that just love that one book. Which I think is interesting that we'll get into a little bit more. The Revelation of John was widely considered as questionably authentic for a long time. Among Christians. So I listened to it while I was working. Yeah. And I'll probably listen to it again. But considering I've, like, seen that shitty 70s movie that I showed you. Um, A Thief in the, the Night. Name. A Thief in the yeah. Night. And then there's, like, the Left Behind series. Mm -hmm. And I was like... So I was, like, expecting, you know, and obviously they talk about the Beast. But I'm like, this isn't nearly as scary as, like, these books and movies make it out to be. I'm like, oh. That was two hours of content like mm -hmm. i just thought it would be a lot more spooky and it wasn't right anyway but we'll talk all about that in our next episode i don't want to yeah give too much away anyway what else we got i mean we can move on to islam because theirs is an incredibly profit-based religion yes. and that's the next chronologically and then we'll talk about eastern <laughs> Religions that that I love have your, prophecy. The the noise you make for your quotation that fingers. That's my, that's my air quotes noise. <laughs> so yeah, in Islam, prophecy is hugely important. Um, Muhammad is the final prophet for most Muslims. There are some Muslim denominations that accept more prophets after him, but that's not typical. But he is he's meant to be the last in the long chain. And they also do respect Jesus as a prophet, not as the son of God, but 
as a prophet. Yeah, and there's even stories of Jesus in the Quran. Absolutely. So. Uh, there's even a book in the Quran dedicated to Mary as well. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. But uh, that's a big misconception is that somehow Muslims hate Christians and Christianity don't believe in Jesus. They absolutely do. Right. Uh, and oh. have stories about him that aren't in the Bible. I'm reminded of an interview I watched uh, with Reza Aslan. Uh, he wrote a book, a great scholarly book on Jesus. Oh, that's on my list to read. Yeah. yeah. And he got dragged around so oh. hard in all these interviews with all kinds of people because he's Muslim writing about Jesus. And all these people who are either Christian or pseudo-Christian be like, why are you writing about Jesus if you're not a Christian? A lot of the, a lot, a lot of the interviews I saw were like, how can you write about Jesus as a Christian? He's like, because I am a scholar. Right. <laughs> like, I can I can do this objectively and look at the research. Mm-hmm. And even as a, well, and as a Muslim, he believes Jesus existed and was mm-hmm. a prophet. It was, yeah, some of the, if you want to go roll your eyes out of your head um watch some of those interviews because they're like how can you do this as a muslim and he's like because i'm a fucking scholar (laughs) right like that's like being like how can you be a nutritionist and be a vegan it's like you can still understand the nutritional value of meat even Mm -hmm. if you choose not to eat it yeah because I have teeth and a stomach, thanks. Yeah, and I have a brain that I can read about the nutritional value of meat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know if that was the best analogy, but yeah, it's like, because the information's out there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, at this point, 2,000 years later, it's all just conjecture, right? So all the information we have about Jesus is out there in the world. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> if you want to go and condense that and maybe come up with some new theories, anyone can fucking do it. Doesn't matter what your religion is. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm just gonna get. Wow, Preston, you shouldn't have brought that up. I'm gonna get off my little soapbox. Step, step. Uh, I like. It. I feel like you had another point to make that I just like steamrolled. Yeah. So it, it, <laughs> so back to Islam. So the Quran is revelations received by Muhammad. So he is meant to have received all these revelations primarily through speaking with Jibril or the angel Gabriel. And prophecy is kind of the staple that holds the religion together, just like it is with Islam or sorry, with, (laughs) with Israel, the Judaism, uh, with Christianity, we rely on the appearance of Jesus to people Peter receiving revelation for the church, Paul, John, so on. And then we've also got the non-Western, non-Abrahamic faiths that are That's also term. finding revelation valuable. Uh, Zoroastrianism, which a lot of people like to point to as kind of the big changing influence on Israel while they were in exile that made their religion what it is today found prophets to be important, particularly Zarathustra, who, of course, is one of those fellas who likes to go into trances, which is not terribly uncommon for prophets around the world, uh, especially um, those who like to use psychotropic assistance. Yep. Woo! (laughs) And... I mean, I don't have any personal experience with psychotropic substances, but from what I've heard, that's a great way to become more empathetic with the the world at large, I guess, and to feel closer to God, I guess, is the way it's described by an awful lot of people. Mm -hmm. Whatever their definition of God is, that it seems to work. (laughs) What else have we got on our list? I know you did some research, too. Well, I was just going to add that Zarathustra, so he's the founder. He's the guy of Zoroastrianism. The sacred writings of Zoroastrianism, the Avesta, is is a revelation from him. So inspired writings, just like Buddhism from the Buddha. Which there's our segue. (laughs) I like it. So Buddha is an interesting example that... So we have... An awful lot of these people who are 
either like okay families or noble families who go and serve in the king's court as prophets. And occasionally you'll have real humble folks who come up to bring messages to the king's court. And uh, Siddhartha Gautama does kind of the opposite. He grew up in a royal court and then said, peace, bye. Peace be with you. <laughs> Kidding, the episode's not over. <laughs> he left the royal courts to go and experience life and recognize the, the depth of the things that he'd only seen surface level after escaping for one night and became a prophet almost in exile. I don't think that's a perfectly fair label on there, but I'm going to use it anyway. Okay. I like it. <laughs> that's a, I think it's novel that he is different in that way. I think it's great. Good old Siddhartha. Right. And we talked a little bit about one of his cool prophecies back when we were talking about this. Chubby subject. Buddha. <laughs> the chubby Buddha. The Maitreya Buddha. And if you're comfortable with um, wild mispronunciations of names, the Buddy Buddha. <laughs> the Buddhai. Buddha. <laughs> the chubby laughing Buddha. So that is his reincarnation that is supposed to happen sometime. Sometime. We don't know when. It's supposed to be after the world forgets Buddhism, which, wow. I mean, it's meant to be like, if the whole world forgets the correct Buddhism or Buddhism altogether, one or the other, then Maitreya Buddha will come and restore it. And be like, don't forget Buddhism. me. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah. Green giant. <laughs> I didn't find any revelation in Hinduism, but I didn't do a ton of digging. So Hinduism, you've got the Vedas and we don't have a lot of solid information so about where the Vedas really came from, who specifically wrote them or anything like that. No, they come from God, the gods from. But like even the way that we have the Vedas, I mean, we have them through the people of India. Oh, who uh, yeah, absolutely. Receive them from the Somewhere, invading Aryans. Yeah who probably did originate the Vedic religion, but we don't have a lot of information there. No, we just, <laughs> yeah, we're just told it came from um, Brahmin's mouth. Right. Yeah. And so in day-to-day in -day Hinduism, there isn't a lot of, in mainstream Hinduism, there isn't a lot of pro prophetic figures publicly. But there are plenty of groups that have shown up where a person shows up and yeah, you get some, uses his charisma and some gurus prophecy. that are pretty, um, yeah, charismatic. I guess is the best way. Though even then, the the gurus I can think of that have started, you know, we talked about Bhagwan in mm -hmm. our cults episode, mm -hmm. um, which is a Hindu cult. He didn't talk about prophecy. He was just sort of again this charismatic leader that people liked the way he presented. Um, his branch of Hinduism, but I don't think he had any prophecy specifically, just a very communal lifestyle. He presented a way to live that worked out really yeah, nicely. But yeah, I don't think he had any prophecy that people right. thought it was new and exciting. It was just how he, yeah, exactly, how he presented. The argument was, the, the tricky thing is def defining the difference between inspiration and revelation. Lodes would argue that he was inspired to start all this up, but I, mean, I guess that depends on how you define inspired. But yeah, it didn't claim revelation. Divinely kind of nifty inspired. Stuff. <laughs> um, we actually we skipped over it. The point I started laughing at. Do we want to talk about what? Yeah, kind of ask your question. To, um, we're kind of, we're sorry, we're kind of jumping back, but modern prophecy, uh, I made a note of what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? We see this a lot, obviously being a Western Christian country, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of like Preston said, the Pentecostal, having a close personal relationship with God, where God speaks to you constantly. And maybe we don't see it as you being a prophet, but God is speaking to you. So that was my question. What does it mean to be filled with? The Holy Spirit. So, just as Christianity is wickedly diverse, 
It's a spectrum. <laughs> There's an awful lot of different thoughts on what that means. For some people, can you even say that you're not filled with the spirit if you're not rolling on the ground, just kind of wigging out? Um, I mean, say some, it. <laughs> there, there's an awful lot of people that look like dementia patients when they're trying to show off that they've got the spirit in them. And some people look like they're suffering from epilepsy. And other people are a lot more dignified in their behavior, I guess. I mean, you see people sobbing. Uh, yeah. Again, if you're Pentecostal, you speak in tongues. And then some people just, like, feel the spirit. Some people just feel comfort and feel reassurance of truth. And you wanting to hold my hand, is yeah, that what I, that is? Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel the spirit in this room? I feel love. And for a lot of people, that's that's how they recognize that the spirit is there. Okay. Because <laughs> we've been friends for a while. I feel love when I'm here. Aww. <laughs> and I just made him hold my hand. So. It didn't hurt. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, atheists don't burn. Right. Yeah, just so everyone knows if you're... So I mean, what it means to feel or to be filled with the spirit seems to vary a lot from person to person. But it's it seems to me that it's a lot more useful if it's reassuring ideas and divine truths than if it's causing you to roll around in a way that might cause you an injury or... <laughs> Or cause somebody to think less of you or your dignity, maybe? Interesting. We'll have to talk about (laughs) glossalia or something. I forget what the technical term for speaking in tongues is. Uh, There's a real... Okay, I'm Googling. Okay, I don't know. Religiously, we just call it speaking in tongues, but... No, there's a name for it. Not in my circles where I wander around, but I believe you. (laughs) Glossolalia, the phenomenon of speaking in an unknown language, especially in religious worship. Glossolalia. Okay. That's your word of the day. That word is a mouthful. (laughs) Glossolalia. That's how you start. Uh, (laughs) We're bad people, Preston. (laughs) Uh, This just reminded me of the word ibophobia. It's a palindrome. It's phobia with phobia spelled backwards on the front of it. What is the phobia of it? It is the fear, the irrational fear of palindromes. You know what? Phobias (laughs) are terrible. Some people who name them are just dicks. They're dicks, dicks. yeah. (laughs) There's a few of them that are just ridiculous. Uh, Triskaidekaphobia is kind of cool. It's the fear of the number 13. But it sounds way cooler than it is. It makes it sound like it's a legitimate thing to be properly afraid of. And if you're actually afraid of the number 13, you do have some sort of emotional problems that you probably need to see a professional for. Wow. You're just dropping (laughs) truth bombs today, Preston. (laughs) So any final thoughts on prophecy, the prophets, what do our listeners need to know be be wary (laughs) of of false prophets be wary of prophets in general okay because the reality is that nine times out of ten you're going to be able to prove easily with real investigation that they are false prophets and i mean i know that as an atheist you don't believe there's any prophets and that's yeah i'm good i'm already guarded against them. <laughs> my loins are girded right and that's realistically a pretty safe position to stand in for uh, speaking for your own safety like you're not going to be brought in by any crazy folks that are looking to take advantage of you with crazy. their prophecies <laughs> so it's I think it's interesting to look at the things that people have prophesied. It's in my religious tradition, there's no hard, fast rule that says nobody outside of our faith can receive prophecy. And for some people, that's not the way they see it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's fine, I guess. But prophecy in general is a tricky thing. What? Something <laughs> tricky in religion? Say it ain't so. But if you're going to predict 
anything that that can be problematic. But prophecy can also be simply directing immediate action. And usually that's kind of the purpose when you see um, oracles or augurs or witch doctors in a royal court that they're there to give that guidance and read omens. And the reading omens bit sounds awfully tricky. It's interesting that in Judaism, um, divination is actually forbidden. You can't be casting bones and reading them or well, throughout reading the tarot cards. That's yeah. super frowned upon. We're going to yeah. cover that closer yeah. to Halloween. We have a whole spooky lineup for you. <laughs> It'll be some good fun. Yeah. And so it's interesting that the way they deal with prophecy is deliberately don't rely on these physical objects that obviously are thrown by chance and communicate with what feels right in most cases. Um, Receiving dreams is common enough within the Hebrew tradition, a lot more with northern Israel than southern Judah, which I think is a kind of a weird distinction that Mm -hmm. ended up being a thing that we noticed. And guiding present action based on what you see the need is makes an awful lot of sense, whether that did in fact come from a god or not. That kind of prophecy tends to be a lot more productive. But yeah, if somebody's trying to tell you, hey, you need to buy. No, no, you need to sell all your stuff and join me. Sell all your stuff and give all of your money to this thing that isn't going to do you any good because Because the the end of the world is coming. That is a scam 100% (laughs) of the time. (laughs) Prophecy is, I don't know, I think it's cool, but like to look into it and study and see what things people have prophesied. I think it's nifty, but it's not a thing that you need to be stressing out about. Like if you go through your day-to-day life worried about a prophecy you heard, don't. (laughs) Unless you're Harry Potter. In the seventh book of the series, you don't need to worry about it. <laughs> sure. But since none of our listeners are the fictional character Harry Potter. As you say, Harry Potter, if you're listening, <laughs> please join our Discord. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Why not? I like it. I like it. <laughs> Is that about it for our, I, our subject of prophecy? I think so. So we got to... We gotta do some sales now. Yeah, we do. We would love to have you help support our podcast, keep it going for years to come. Patreon will help us make that possible. And we've also got our merch store. Where's our merch store? Our merch store is Spreadshirt. We have a. You can just search for Holy Watermelon, and you can find all of those links and even better conversations on our Discord. All of those links will be in the description box. So. We hope to see you on our Discord to continue this conversation. Peace be with you. By the late Middle Ages, the Christian prophecies have fulfilled itself.